Indeed, to those of us who have been made to understand and know the ways of the Lord, the ways of the, the Bible, the ways of the Word of God, are not ways that shackle us. They are ways of pleasantness. Because her paths are paths of peace. May the Lord enable us to see those paths of peace this morning as we come to this passage. We won't be looking, as I won't be surprising to you, at, at the whole of the section we've just read. Uh, we just read it because it fits. It, it is a one cohesive section. But we'll break it up into two parts, uh, a sermon in two parts, uh, under the title of Remembering God's Mercy. Remembering God's mercy for us. That's how the Apostle Paul uh, begins this section. He says, therefore, remember. He, he has just ex explained up until this moment uh, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, the multitude. He has, he's been at pains uh, to, uh, in laboring to convince and to persuade the Christians in Ephesus uh, that, uh, that they have all measure of blessings in the heavenly places. And he wants them to have a clear understanding of that, to have a firm grasp of what these enormous privileges are. He told them, or rather he reminded them, that they were chosen in God the Father from before the foundation of the world, that they were uh, elected to be adopted as his children. And according to that sovereign plan, they were reconciled to him. That God has made to them to know the mystery of his will. And that they are now joint heirs with Christ. And they are sealed with the, with the, with the earnest of the spirit of promise. Brothers and sisters, before we get there, no one in the world possesses privileges like the Christians do. That, like those who are in Christ have. Privileges that we have been given because we don't, not because we deserve them, but because we desperately needed them, in, and in God's love, because, because of the great love with which he loved us, as he said in, at the beginning of chapter 2, he has made us to be alive and to receive them. And that's what Paul went on to do, in, uh, as we saw last week in chapter 2. He explained the, the, in chapter 2 the, the individual uh, aspect of salvation. That we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, but of, of the gift of God. He has made us to be his by grace through faith. And that's sort of, I know it's kind of the, uh, diminishing the text from last week, but for Paul, that was sort of a setting up the stage. That was not the point that he wanted to make in writing this letter in, the, in this particular section. For him, the section that we considered last week, the, from verse 1 to verse 10, was setting up the stage for what he is now going to tell the Ephesians. He looked at the salvation uh, by grace through faith as individuals because he wanted to bring to them the wonderful realities of what it means to be a part of the church, what it means to be a part of the community of believers. The privileges that Paul mentioned there from verse 1 to verse 10 are mentioned so that he can now open up from verse 11 to verse 22 the wondrous realities of being in the body 
of the church, in the body of Christ, which is the church. And brothers and sisters, though we are saved as individuals, though we are saved individually, we're not saved to be individualists. And we should, and we ought to count it a great privilege to be saved uh, individually, to know God and to have fellowship to, with him, to be reconciled with him. But so too, and this is New Testament instruction for us, so too should we count it as much of a great privilege to be a part of the fellowship of the saints, of having fellowship with God and with have, having fellowship with one another through what Christ did. The church is not something that is incidental. The church is not something that is of little importance to the children of God. The Bible teaches us that it is the body of Christ that is that living organism through whom the Savior, Christ, operates in the world. We, we went through the book of Acts, and the book of Acts was this brilliant demonstration, not of what the apostles had done, but what Christ was doing through the apostles. And that's what the church is. That's what the privilege of belonging to the church uh, encompasses, that we are a body, that we are a community, that we are knit together, and that Christ works in and through us. In the New Testament, this modern idea that uh, one can be saved and, and, and basically live his life without belonging to the church, without being involved, invested uh, in the church, uh, is non-existent. Being in Christ in the New Testament is the same thing as being in the church, as being a part of the church, as being invested and as being involved in it. And if there is a place in history, if there is a, a, a time in history where this message needs to be boldly proclaimed, it is the time to which we are called to live in and minister to. We desperately need to be reminded in our overly individualized society that has somehow this world has sipped through uh, into the church that we are saved to belong to a body of believers. The individualism of our generation has permeated what many call the, the so-called Christianity of today. There are many, and I know we know a few of them, we have contact with people like this, who, who have this idea that they are Christians, but they would have nothing to do with the church. They would have nothing to do with the body of believers. They neglect being in a relationship and being involved and invested in, in the church. What I want us to see today from the text is, is that this is an utter distortion, an utter uh, distortion of the teaching of the New Testament. We're not designed, or the Christian life was not designed to be advanced and, and to thrive uh, in isolation of the fellowship of the saints. It is our relationship with God and with one another as we are so intimately related to each other that builds up together this holy temple as the Apostle Paul uh, um, tells us. So the first thing I want us to know because this is the introduction to both sermons today and, and, and next week, is that the New Testament, to be in Christ, is equivalent to being in the church. Paul would be utterly dismayed 
at this idea that we have running around in our world today. And it is an enormous privilege, isn't it, to belong to the church. It is an enormous privilege to be in Christ, and it is an enormous privilege to belong to the church. Even in spite of the weaknesses, even in spite of the warts and the defects, because no church is perfect this side of heaven. There are no perfect churches. We are not a perfect church, as I'm sure most of you know from dealing with one another, from dealing with me, from dealing with, with others. We're not per, uh, perfect, but it's still a privilege to be a member, to be accounted among the number of it. And this passage tells us about that unity, that fellowship, that unity that exists. And Paul uh, is keen to tell this, as he says to the, to the Ephesians, to remember, to remind them. And we too need to be reminded. Therefore, remember. Therefore, remember what you once were and what you are now. And we need to be reminded of that, of that privilege, of what it, the price that was paid for us to be a part of it, of the love uh, that was uh, demonstrated for us to be a part of it. And so much that we love Christ, we need to love the, the church that he loved. And that's what Paul does. We have two, uh, two sections here. We'll, we'll look at from verse 11 to 16, and next week from 17 to 22. And from verse 11 to 16, we have two sections. We have, firstly, our former condition, and our present, and secondly, our present situation. What Paul tells them to remember, first of all, is their former condition. Formerly, Paul says about the Gentiles, he tells them, remember, therefore, in light of what I said, therefore, remember that you Gentiles in the flesh were once called uncircumcised, that you once Gentiles in the flesh were once called uncircumcision by those who are circumcised in the flesh by hands. You were once this. That's what you were. Remember that you were once dead in your sin and trespasses, yes. But more than that, as a body, uh, as, a, as a, uh, a group of people, not only that, but even worse. You were dead in your sins and trespasses, and you were Gentiles. You were far off, he tells them. It is beneficial for us to remember our, our, our former condition. I know it's not uh, fashionable these days. We want the, the happy, clappy kind of message. We want to, to be lifted up in our spirits. Uh, we don't want the, 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 the put-down kind of message. But Paul knows how beneficial, how profitable and advantageous it is for us to look back to see where we were and to see where we now are. To consider what the Lord has done. And this church who was largely made up of Gentiles, non-Jews. That's what Gentiles means. They were non-Jews. They were once dead in their sins and trespasses, as we saw last week. But more so than that, they were afar off. There's this uh, condition uh, uh, that is demonstrated here in, uh, in these um, in, this, in these two verses, 11 and 12. Number one, they were socially uh, excluded. That's the one thing. They were socially excluded. The Gentiles were objects of, uh, of social alienation. 
And this takes many facets, and it's important for us to understand the, the first century uh, uh, outlook. To be socially alienated, to be uh, excluded socially, was something that was the norm. It was expected. You belong to a, a particular people group. You belong to a particular social class. You belong to a particular uh, financial standing. You're, you're a, of a certain ethnicity. You are, by necessity, of all those things excluded. That's what was happening in the first century, not just between the Jews and the Gentiles, but all over the world. And we, we don't understand it because we live in a, in a post-Christian society where all, many of those things have been uh, taken away, have been diluted. But first century Mediterranean culture was filled with, with uh, divisive walls that were set up. You had the, 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 the divisive wall of, uh, of social standing. You either belong to the nobility or you belong to the common folk. You either were a, a master or you were a slave. There was all kinds of things there that made you uh, different. If you're a master, you look down upon the slave as a, an inferior being. If you're a slave, you look upon your master with, uh, with resentment for, for the, the many times, more often than not, the, way that they, the appalling way that they treated uh, their slaves. And we don't understand this these days, thank God, because Christianity came into this isle of ours. And it was the Christians, first and foremost, in this land, Wilberforce, Wesley, Newton, uh, that, that, that advocated as they read their Bibles and as they understood that all men are created equal, all men are made in the image of God, that they needed to tear down those, those social uh, walls. But it wasn't just the social barriers, there was the barrier of gender. If you're a woman living in first century, it doesn't matter if it's in Greece, in Rome, in, Jew, in, in, in Israel. If you're a woman living in that first century, there are walls. You're inferior. You're just a little bit above being a slave. You don't have any, many rights. Your husband can do to you what he pleases. He can, he can sell you. He can lend you to a friend. He can, uh, he can beat you up and the law doesn't apply to you. The world had, uh, had this division. And again, many women these days, they, 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 they don't understand this. They don't understand uh, the influence that the gospel has had in the Western world. The feminist mu movement never showed up in, in places where Christianity hasn't reached, has it? You go to Muslim countries, you go to uh, Indian uh, subcontinent, Hindu countries, uh, you don't find feminism uh, springing up there. Why is it that feminism springs up in Christian countries? Because it, it is in Christian countries where this barrier of gender has been torn down, that men and women are created in the image of God and are equally worthy of the same rights. Nowadays, people look at Christianity as if Christianity is the boogeyman, as if Christianity is the, uh, is the, uh, uh, the, the source of the patriarchy, patriarchy, as if the, the Christianity is, is what uh, uh, f uh, feeds the toxic masculinity. That's all language that they use. Quite the contrary. It was out of a Christian society that some of these ideas that have been 
taken too far as well, we must be honest, uh, is out of a Christian society that, that these things show up. But it wasn't just social, it wasn't just gender uh, barriers, there was also ethnic barriers. There were ethnic barriers all over the, the, the old world before Christianity came in. If you're a Greek, you look with disdain and anyone else who's not a Greek. You're, they were barbarians. They were not as uh, intellectually sophisticated. They didn't have the philosophers that we have. So they are uh, barbarians. If you're a Roman, being a Roman citizen meant that you're better than all the other Roman uh, subjects. Being a Roman citizen was a mark of pride. In, in fact, in Israel, being a Jew was a mark of being the special people. These barriers, and this barrier specifically, is the barrier that Paul comes to deal with. But the reality is that all these barriers, the, Christ's death and the tearing down of the middle wall of separation, as Paul says there in, in verse 14, has tore them all down. To many Jews, the Gentiles were no better than dogs. You wouldn't enter a Jewish, uh, a Gentile home. In fact, in the, in the, in the narrative of the, of the crucifixion, as the Pharisees, as the high priests, as they come to accuse uh, Jesus before Pilate, they refuse to enter uh, Pilate's home. Why? Because if they entered, they would be defiled, and it was the, the Passover uh, night, and they didn't want to be defiled just before the Passover. That's how they behaved. Women and, and as well, but particularly the ethnic division existed. You know that, that, that play, that movie, The F Fiddler on the Roof, if you've seen it, you, you've seen some of it being played out in a Jewish home, don't you? The, the, if, you if, uh, if a Jew marries a Gentile woman, basically for his family, he is as good as dead. Some even go as far as celebrating a, a mock funeral because he died. He, he defiled his, his, his lineage, his ethnicity. All of these things were playing up and we don't understand them as we should because we live, as I said, uh, in, in, the, in the blessedness of a society that has been uh, enriched by Christian, te Christian, Christian teaching for centuries now. It's fading away and as it fades away, incidentally, you see these divisions uh, crop up again and again, don't you? The, 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 the strife is, is again coming back, ethnic, social, gender, strife, all of it is coming, creeping up again. But that's just the beginning of the issue, isn't it? As Paul expresses it here in, in, uh, in chapter 12. It's not just a societal, it is a spiritual thing. The Gentiles in Ephesus, they should remember that not only they were victims uh, before Christ and before what Christ did and before they embraced Christ, they were victims of societal uh, um, separation. Paul here says that you also were victims of spiritual bankruptcy, even more so than the spiritual bankruptcy that we considered last week in verses 1 to 4 where they were dead in their sins and trespasses, enslaved by the world, the flesh, and the devil, walking uh, as children of wrath, just as the others. Paul here actually says, your case was even worse than that because you're Gentiles. 
for the Jews still had something. They had the promises. The Jews had the, the, the signs. They had the sacrifices. They had the, the types of the Old Testament. They had the, the, the longing for Christ. And that's what he says to them. I'll, I'll go in quick succession here because I want to get to the, to the second part here. But he says to them, you are without Christ. You didn't have Christ before. The Jews, in a sense, they had Christ. They had the promise of Christ. They had the, 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 the prophecy saying that there was a Messiah to come. You were without that prophecy. A, 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 a faithful Jew in the Old Testament would be saved by believing in those promises. Hebrews 11 verse, verse eight, uh, 13 says that uh, they, those faithful Jews in the Old Testament, they died not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, they embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. On the earth. All those sacrifices, all those rites, all those ceremonies, all those, those uh, uh, ceremonial things that were set up in the Old Testament law for the Jews meant that they were nearer. It didn't mean that they were less spiritually bankrupt individually, but as a people group, the Jews were nearer. And Paul is saying, how much more was your, were you in trouble? You were spiritually bankrupt individually, but more so, as a people group, you didn't have the word of God. You didn't have Christ. You were Christless. You were completely oblivious to these things. You were homeless. He says that, uh, that you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth. You were, you were uh, foreigners. You, you didn't belong to the citizenship of Israel. In fact, Paul is often uh, uh, clear about this. Uh, for instance, in Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, he mentions this. As he's writing to the Romans, he tells them sort of the same thing. He says, what advantage... Uh, then has the Jew or what is it the prophet of circumcision and he says much in every way there is many advantages that a Jew has he is still just as dead in his sin and trespasses but he has the promises he says chiefly because to them to the Jews were committed the oracles of God but not the Gentiles you didn't have the oracles of God you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, from the citizenship, from being a part of Israel. And verse 12 continues to say, you were uh, strangers from the covenants of promise. You were, you were friendless. The covenants of promise are those promises that God makes, particularly from Abraham, the friend of God. In that sense, they were friendless. They were not in Abraham. When God had promised that he would be their God, his God, and he would, uh, that out of him would come a people. They were strangers to all of this. And consequently, as Paul here mentions, they were hopeless. They had no hope. They had no hope of victory over death. They have no hope of, for the future. Paul is not saying that they, were, that they didn't have aspirations. Paul is not saying that people without Christ have no aspirations or desires. You, you can have those. And they, we often have aspirations and desires, particularly at a younger age. We have all the, the dreams in the world. But that's not hope as Paul mentions it here. The hope that Paul mentions here is more than that. It's a hope that is uh, married with, with, a, with, a, with an expectation and that's what the Gentiles did not have. 
the Gentiles lived as those without hope. On one side, you had the, the Epicureans, the hedonists, that they, they enjoyed life because there is no tomorrow. So let's, let's drink, uh, eat, and be, uh, and be happy. Uh, uh, on the other side, you had the Stoics. The Stoics were not better than the Epicureans. The Stoics were the fatalists. Uh, what's the point? They, they, they were the, the ones that, what's the point of doing anything? There's no hope. It's, it's all, everything is crushed. And, to, and so Paul says, you were without hope. That's, that's how you lived. You, you don't need to, st uh, to look a lot, uh, uh, around a lot through uh, ancient uh, uh, history to see that, they, in fact, the Gentiles in the Mediterranean and throughout the world had no hope. Look at the tombstones. If you want to do this, look at tombstones uh, of Roman uh, citizens. You look at the tombstones of Roman citizens, and, and they have nothing of hope. It's an it's a epitaph about how the person lived, uh, what they accomplished in their life, uh, the achievements or their personality, maybe a, a, a quote from a philosopher, maybe a, a, a quote from the, per the deceased person that he wanted to leave to posterity. But there is nothing of hope. On the other side, go to Banil Fields, as uh, I went uh, a couple of weeks ago with our Dutch brothers, uh, and, uh, and start reading some of those tombstones by Christians. I, I, I brought a couple here. One of them says, though worms devour this tabernacle of clay, Christ shall redeem it at the last great day. Death is but a sleep, a short night's rest, after which we shall rise to be forever blessed. Here lies the body of John Smith. Who was, who was he? I don't know. There's 20,000 different nonconformists uh, buried there. Here lies the body of John Smith, who died in the hope of a glorious resurrection. That's the distinction. Before Christ, before the, uh, Christ, people had no hope. There is no hope of resurrection. Oh, death, where is thy sting, Paul says. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God that gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because they were godless. And that's how Paul concludes this section. He tells them, you were godless. You didn't have God. You worshipped idols. You worshipped idols made of wood and stone. You were ignorant of the one true living, true, uh, the one true living God who made the universe, who sustains it by the power of his word. You were orphans. You were without hope. You were without promise. They were like sailors in a boat without a compass to guide them, in a boat without a rudder, in a night without stars, in the midst of a stormy sea without, without uh, any harbor in sight. That's what we were. That's what they were, and that's what we were. Brothers and sisters, were it not for the, for the faithful uh, endeavors of those first through two or three century Christians that brought the gospel into this island that we now call Great Britain, were it not for those faithful servants who brought the gospel here through much hardship and, and suffering, we would be just like them, without hope.
without Christ, without God. Today, instead of being here, worshipping the one true God, we would be around a, a, a fire, I don't know, the, what kind of Druid, paganistic, Germanic practices they, uh, they have. I'm not a, an expert on that, but we would be doing something very differently, and we have no hope of eternal life. And that's what Paul goes on to say. This gloomy picture that the Apostle Paul describes in verse 11 and 12, very much like he described in verse 1 through 4, and then he, he goes in ver uh, 1 through 3, and then he, in verse 4 he goes, but God, who is rich in mercy, very much in that sense, verse 11 and 12 is a gloomy, dark, obscure picture. And then in verse 13 he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. How terrible it is to live without hope, but how wonderful it is to live with Christ and to have hope. That's, that was our former condition, and now Paul goes on. And it, it, again, we're not going to look at the rest of the verses, all of them. I, I just want to draw a, a few points of application from, from verse 14 and 15, and then we'll leave the rest of the verses for next week. But... How much so should we be in awe and wonder of God for what he has done? Because we were far off. We were far, far away, and Christ has brought us near. Something extraordinary, miraculous happened that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We who were Gentiles, far off from any promises, in Christ Jesus we have been brought near. Everything now is different. And something extraordinary happened. And we'll, we'll look at both elements of it in the, in the death of Christ. One of them we already considered last week and we'll consider again today is the, the fact that through Christ we have reconciliation with God. We who were children of wrath are now made to be children of God. But alongside that, and that's the point that Paul makes here, alongside that uh, atoning work, there is also, a, alongside that reconciliation with God vertically, Paul says there is a reconciliation with one another horizontally. That middle wall of separation, he says, and here Paul might, might, might well be thinking of the temple. You, you, you all seen those pictures, I'm sure. Usually they, there's, there's always a, a representation in the back of Bibles. Not all of them, but sometimes you have the, of the temple. And you have the, the, the inner sanctum, the, the holy of holies, and you have the holy place, and then outside of the building you have the, the Jewish court when only the, the Jews could enter. And then outside of that you had the, the Gentile court for those proselytes, for those who were uh, Gentile but in, in, in some way had become God-fearers and have been, had been made proselytes. Uh, think of Jethro, think of Rahab, Ruth, think of uh, Naaman. There were a few in the, in the Old Testament. Very few. Ridiculously few. That have been like glimmers. That actually. What the Jews had forgotten. That they were to be a blessing upon all the nations. And they never lived up for, to, that, to that mission. That was given to them by God. Uh, that actually. This was about to happen. But it was very few. Not at all like in the fullness of times. In the coming of Christ. Where the Gentiles are now brought in. And in that temple, there was this division. And I think they found recently the, uh, an inscription that no Gentile can, can go past here uh, under the, the, 
the pain of death under the, 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 the law, otherwise they would suffer death. And that middle wall of separation was there. And I, I wonder if that's what Paul is referring to here. That middle wall of separation in Christ's death, not only the veil that, that, that kept us separated from God was torn from up to down, the middle wall of separation that distinguished between Jews and Gentiles in all of those ceremonies in the Old Testament that were meant to, to, to promote this distinction, to, to point forward to, to the work of Christ, that Christ would come to, to, to do. All of those things were done away the, at that time when Christ died. Having abolished, it says here, in this flesh, the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, the Jews and the Gentiles, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both, the Jew and the Gentile, to God, one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. That's what Paul is saying here. The blood of Christ not only um, paid for our sins, as we saw in verse 2 to verse 10, but also, that's vertically, but also horizontally, he has brought us into becoming one people. That's why I find it so um, difficult to follow some Christians and Often when we have these things happening in, in Israel and Palestine in the Middle East, uh, some Christians tend to look and, and read too much Bible into it. There's no longer the Jew-Gentile distinction. The people of God are one. It's not that the Gentiles replaced the Jews. It's that the Gentiles were brought in, added into the fold. We were grafted in Christ into those promises. That's what Paul is saying here. And that separation that existed, what separated men from God and men from men, that is sin, sin was done, uh, was defeated on the cross of Christ. It is Christ who conquered sin on the cross. He paid our debt there, and we are now accepted by him before God. And at the same time, we can now have fellowship with other men and women who have gone through the same process. We who perhaps would have nothing in common with one another, the Englishman uh, and, the, and, the, uh, and the, the Irishman and the, and, the, and, the, and the French and the Portuguese, the men and the women, uh, the, the Jew and the Gentile, all natives in some remote island in the, in the Pacific or in, in, some, uh, in the middle of the jungle in the Amazon, we are all now, if we're saved by, in Christ, if we are united to Christ, we are now one. It is that sense here. And it is that sense that Paul says here that Christ, he is our peace. He is the one that tore away those things that, that so clearly separated us. That of both peoples, he made one by breaking down the middle wall of separation, the vast gulf that existed. How? By the blood of his cross. Or as I like how Paul puts it in, the, in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse, uh, uh, verse uh, 10 and 11. Look at how he says it. And have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, 
circumcised nor uncircumcised. There is no barbarian, no Scythian, nor slave, nor free. Why? Because Christ is all in all. No matter what nationality you are, no matter what skin color you have, no matter uh, if you're a man or a woman, yes, yes, there are only those two genders. Regardless of our social class, if you are if you're, uh, someone who, who barely makes, uh, makes do with what they get, or if you're someone who is very well off, no matter what where you stand, whether you're, you're an influential CEO, politician, or you're just a, a, a housewife, uh, no matter all of that, in Christ, we're all reconciled to one another. And that's, and that's astounding. Because we wouldn't otherwise be drawn into one, uh, to be with one another. The church of Christ is the one, what's the word? The church of Christ is the one institution, the one place in, in, in the world, in this society, where people who would otherwise be inveterate enemies, people who would otherwise hate each other's God with, a, with, a, with, a, with hatred uh, to the point of killing one another, can now call one another brothers and sisters and love one another. And that's the message that this world needs to hear, isn't it? That's the message that, that is so severely lacking. It's not the, the, the oh, can you just do a ceasefire uh, so we can get some humanitarian aid? It's not the UN that's going to solve the world's problems. It's not, it's not the US or the Russia, it's not, it's the, the problem in the, in the Middle East, the problem in Ukraine, the problem all over the world is only going to be sorted by one person, that is Christ, who is our peace. If you want to see peace in the Middle East, preach the gospel to them, because that's the only thing that they will, that they will respond to exactly. Thank you. And then... Let me just draw two points of conclusion, and in conclusion. Again, this is a two-part sermon. The reason why we so desperately need this in our day, in our context, is that we are so prone, aren't we, to militate against Christ's work as Christians. I say this with, with sadness, and I say this with, 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 with no joy, but we are so prone to to tear down what Christ uh, came to build, or to build up those things that Christ came down to tear. To, let me put it another way. We are so prone to, to build up things that Christ came down to tear. We love to build walls behind, uh, around us. We love to divide. And we allow those issues to divide us. We cre create our own subculture, Christianity, our own uh, little things that divide us. It is not Christ-centered, it is man-centered. Uh, what kind of uh, hymns do you sing? What kind of psalm? Do you only sing psalms? Which Bible do you use? Which, where, uh, how does it look like this and that? And it, it, we divide ourselves. We, we, we set up all these little things, this, these uh, added things to divide ourselves. This shibboleth, to use a, a teaching from Scripture. 
or to use an illustration from scripture. You know Shibboleths, right? In the book of Judges, there, uh, uh, I think it was Judah was fighting against Ephraim and Ephraim was defeated, but they, there were still some scattered around and, uh, and uh, I don't know if it was Ju the, the Gileadites, that's it. The Gileadites, uh, they set up this test to find out if the, if the Ephraimites were trying to uh, get in and cross the river. They asked them to pronounce Shibboleth. So the, the Gileadites would say Shibboleth. And uh, the Ephraimites would say Sibboleth. And they, when they asked them, oh, you said it the wrong way, off with your head. That, that was kind of what was happening there. But that's kind of how we behave. We're, we have Shibboleths. And that's, that's those extra biblical uh, adiaphorous kind of things that we divide ourselves with, that we use to ba uh, to as blunt force instruments to 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 club other Christians over the, in the head with. And these things are things that Christ came down to tear. These these middle walls of separation. I'm not saying let's all uh, embrace one another and pretend that we don't have distinctions. I, I'm all for distinctions, but not for division. An illustration of this, how these things can hinder us, is, you know, in the, in the, in the ship world, the biggest of ships, uh, the, one of those American aircraft carriers, every once in a while, every six years, every, every so often, it has to go into maintenance. And one of the things that they need to do is to take away small little barnacles from its hull. The small little barnacle that starts getting added to the to the hole under the under the, the water line. And we kind of behave like this. We start adding small little barnacles with these shibboleths of ours. And all of a sudden the ship is not steering the right way. All of a sudden its its momentum uh, loses force. Uh, we're encumbered, we slow down, we uh, they we have no benefit with those things, but yet we we want to add them because we want to feel better. That's what it is. It is that prideful sentiment that we want to feel higher and better than others. We're not trying to convince them. We're just trying to, to one-up one another. So how can we strip away all of this stuff? How can we uh, act uh, like Paul says in Colossians, that, uh, that there is neither Greek nor Jew, uncircumcised or barbarian, city and slave, but Christ is all in all for those who are in Christ? How can we do this? We need to go back to a Christ-centered theology. We need to love Christ. And as we love Christ, we love one another more. We need to tear down these walls, as an American president said on a, uh, uh, in East Germany, we need to tear down these walls. Because otherwise, we're fencing people out that would perhaps come nearer. We fence them out. Aren't you glad? That Christ came and, fend, and, and took away that fence that held us so far off that we were able to come and listen to the gospel. Otherwise, we wouldn't have listened to the gospel. And the other lesson, since Christ died not only to bring us vertical reconciliation, and I'll be quick here, but to bring us horizontal reconciliation as well. The other lesson for us is, if there is any, anything you have against your brother, or you know your brother has anything against you, you go and sort it out. Because that's what Christ came to do. Not just to reconcile us with, with, uh, with our Father, with 
to, to bring us into a relationship with our Father, to reconcile us with God, but to reconcile us with one another and to live in enmity against our brethren is unchristlike. If there is anything, a division between you and your brother, you need to fix it. You need to tear down whichever middle wall of separation was built there so that Christ would be honored. And there is a way of having peace. It's through Christ. Christ is the source. He is our peace. I love how Paul says it here. He is our peace. He doesn't say he will be our peace when we all go to heaven. He doesn't say uh, on, the, on, the, on the second coming he is going to be our peace. And then No, he's saying he is our peace here and now. He's our peace here and now between us and God. And he's our peace here and now between one another. When Paul was writing to the Philippians, and there was these two lovely sisters, I'm sure. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have bothered to, to try and fix. There was Judah uh, and Syntyche. And apparently, they were at, at each other's throats, uh, as we would say it these days. He, he writes to them, and he says what? Be of one mind. Iuda, Iudia, be of one mind. Why? What was the reason that Paul says? Because your life, your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Because in heaven you be reconciled. Why don't you want to have a little bit more of heaven in this life? Why is it that we want to have less of heaven? And that's what he says. And my question is, is Christ really your peace? For those perhaps who, who this message doesn't uh, seem to, to resonate, there is a way to have peace in this world. There is a way to have vertical and horizontal peace in this world. It is through Christ. And there is a way of access to God the Father through Christ. And you can have it today. The promise of the gospel is not just of a happy ever, uh, happily ever after kind of life in heaven. It is a, a, a promise of a happy life here and now. In the midst of struggles, yes. In the midst of, of difficulties. where God never promised an easy life for, to any of his believers. In fact, Christ was, was, was our uh, example in everything. He didn't live an easy life in this world. But you can have peace in the midst of adversity. Today, not tomorrow... You can have peace because tomorrow is not guaranteed. But if you have peace today with Christ, you will have peace tomorrow and forever after. But you need to draw near. As he draws near to you with his word, you need to draw near to him. You need to turn to him. And may God turn you. May God give you the heart and the desire to look upon that cross, to see him there bleeding for the sins of his people, being spat upon, being despised and forsaken, that you would have life through him. May the Lord Jesus Christ be our peace today. And may we all be able to say the same thing.